Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. In the state of Indiana, they passed regulations on abortion. They've been signed into law. Indiana is the first state to do such a thing. A special session had been called. The special session was about inflation relief for Hoosiers. $225 was going to go back to every Hoosier from a $6 billion surplus. They were going to spend a billion dollars on it. That ended up being $200 per. But then, of course, Roe v. Wade got overturned. And the governor, Eric Holcomb, who is not somebody who has engaged seriously in any social issue, he played follow the leader on COVID. I would say that to him directly. And he has avoided uh, taking the side of parents when it comes to doing what is best for their kids' education. He vetoed a bill that would have said that boys play in boys' sports and girls play in girls' sports. He vetoed a bill to protect that would protect girls in sports. That was an override from the General Assembly. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, it's great to be with you, as always. But on the abortion subject, man, right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. He said, we're going to do this. We're We're going to protect life in the state of Indiana. It was an interesting move from a guy who on so many subjects says nothing and in so many opportunities for leadership engages none. Now, I should argue that the leadership ended there in my view because I don't believe the Republican Party did a very good job of presenting, hey, here's where our agreements are, here's where our disagreements are, here's what we're going to do. And you could argue, well, don't the Democrats have a say? It's a supermajority. The Democrats, until the end, were in favor of recreational abortion. But then they came out and said 22 weeks. Abortion up to 22 weeks, okay, 20 weeks. Doing the thing that I said they weren't doing because they weren't until then. Maybe they're actually listening to me. Beats me. Uh, And, you know, you can't just walk in and say, we want abortion all the time, anywhere. The argument I had made was that if if you told Democrats we were going to have abortion up until and including the moment of birth, and it was going to be free on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, the Democratic Party would have said, why not free on Thursdays? They're never satisfied. So uh, the fact that they they uh, placed any level of weak restriction was to me impressive, considering that's not who they are. I don't think the Republican Party approached this subject properly. I think they could have been much cleaner about the thing and had less hassle about the thing. And to end up with a 10-week number, plus exceptions for rape and incest, not only for life of the mother, but fetal abnormality, which I, I wonder if it's purposefully vague. Because it would seem to me, based on how I read it, that a doctor could decide, hmm, well, there's a problem here at 24 weeks and allow an abortion to take place because it falls into these other categories. Maybe that's absolutely what people want. I'm not just talking about the people of Indiana. I'm talking about people in general. 
they want in the main for there to be restrictions, but they also want to avert their eyes and let people with their doctor do what they do. Please stop talking to me about abortion. I, for one, am thrilled that Roe v. Wade was overturned because it was improperly decided from the beginning. And the right belongs to the states to decide. And even though it's messy, it's the only thing going. Democracy is messy and hot damn, I wouldn't have it any other way. It forces conversations that make people uncomfortable. It forces people to state where they are. It forces people to re-examine a position. But when we settle on something, it usually hangs around because people don't want to get into it again. I mean, that's, that is the way it is. I'm glad that we're doing this. I think that there will be some things that come back uh, to the General Assembly in, in its regular session in Indiana. But in the main, I think that this is closer to where I thought there would be. I thought they would do a first trimester thing. 12 weeks or 15 weeks, I wasn't sure which way there would be, uh, but I thought that's where it would go. It's 10 weeks plus these exceptions. Democrats, of course, have painted this as a near total ban on abortion. Just because Planned Parenthood can't have any clinics in in uh, Indiana, because there'll be no more private clinics, that's not a near total ban on abortion. It is kind of where we thought it would end up. My take based on reading uh, the legislation. But that's, I, I, I just wanted to make sure everybody was filled in on the basics. The part two of this story is that of Eli Lilly. And what it is, that Eli Lilly and Company has done. Now, Eli Lilly and Company, Colonel Eli Lilly, founding the pharmaceutical company in Indianapolis, not too far from where I sit uh, right now. Uh, a huge name in Indiana, the, the Lilly Foundation, never mind just the company, which has uh, an endowment, uh, the, the, the levels of, of charitable giving through the roof, really and truly incredible stuff. But the Eli Lilly of late, while I think the stock price does well, and then somebody else can can uh, uh, cor correct me on, uh, on that, Eli Lilly has engaged in what so many um, have have done, which is they decide because they have a political ideology. They can force it onto their company and make it look like a much larger ideology than it actually is. Salesforce does this, and, and, and I would argue shamefully. Not everybody who works for Salesforce agrees with Mark Benioff on his politics. The question before us is, how many people get to speak out? When Therese Halliburton of the Indiana Pacers makes a statement about the legislation in Indiana, which he is more than entitled to do. I don't believe in shut up and dribble at all. You go right ahead, man. Yet another huge step backward for our country. Shame on the leaders and lawmakers who think they have power over women's bodies or who think they have the power over women's bodies. That's that's what, what, he, what he wrote. Over 7,000 likes on Twitter. I responded by asking a question. Does this include the female lawmakers who voted for the legislation? Female lawmakers, women who are Republicans, voted for this legislation. And there are numerous women 
in Indiana who support abortion restrictions. Maybe it's the first time for, for Therese Halbert, and he'll be seeing that, no, it turns out that not all women are on the political left. Not all women agree. Now, the question before us is, is there anybody on the Indiana Pacers who could be pro-life and say something without getting vilified or destroyed, never mind by the fan base, but by the team itself and the other players like Therese Halliburton? Does Therese support free thought, freedom of expression? Does he support somebody disagreeing with him? He is allowed to have an opinion. I heard some people say, I'm never going to a Pacers game again. I don't think that's a reason not to go to a Pacers game. I think that's nuts. The guy's voicing his opinion. He's entitled to. I am questioning whether or not he thought it all through. That's my take. And then I'm doing a step forward. I want to know how many people in the Pacers organization could say something in opposition to Therese Halliburton, and would they still have a job? Do they feel safe enough and secure enough in the job itself? I return to Eli Lilly, which put out a statement. Lilly recognizes, and remember, Eli Lilly is, of course, headquartered in Indianapolis. Thousands of employees, and they've got other places, right? The other places where they have uh, labs and things like that. Lilly recognizes that abortion is a diverse or divisive and deeply personal issue with no clear consensus among the citizens of Indiana. Now that happens to be correct. That's a very true statement. Despite this lack of agreement, Indiana has opted to quickly adopt one of the most restrictive anti-abortion laws in the United States. Well, now let's go back to the first part. Abortion is a divisive and deeply personal issue. But when you say no clear consensus, maybe we have to correct. Are we sure? Because Republicans have a supermajority in the House and in the Senate, and many of them ran on their pro-life bona fides, so allow a correction. It is a divisive and deeply personal issue. On that, I agree. But no clear consensus, well, it's not 100% true because the Republican Party which, of course, carries many more pro-life members, uh, considering the Democratic Party carries zero, has the supermajority. Despite this lack of agreement, Indiana has opted to quickly adopt one of the most restrictive anti-abortion laws in the United States. Well, I don't know if it's as anti-abortion as Oklahoma or Arkansas. Was it, was it, was it Oklahoma or was it Arkansas? It was Arkansas. Mississippi, certainly. You're right, but we also don't have laws uh, like uh, California or we don't have laws like New York that allow partial birth abortion. We don't have uh, people like the former governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, who believe in infanticide. In the choice, I'm going to go with Indiana and not infanticide. One man's thesis. We are concerned that this law will hinder Lily's and Indiana's ability to attract diverse scientific engineering, and business talent from around the world. While we have expanded our employee health plan coverage to include travel for reproductive services unavailable locally, that may not be enough for some current and potential employees. As a global company headquartered in Indianapolis for more than 145 years, we work hard to retain and attract thousands of people who are important drivers of our state's economy. Given this new law, says Lilly, 
we will be forced to plan for more employment growth outside our home state. Oh, my. Now, you're giving this health care coverage so people can travel and get an abortion. You call it reproductive services. I think that's awkward. But neither here nor there. You're concerned that it will hinder Lily's ability to attract scientific engineering and business talent from around the world. Is there any data, any study that shows that it makes it more difficult? I'm sure there are some people say, oh, I won't go to Indiana. I don't think there were people going to Indiana anyway. I would argue they were bigots from the start and decided to look at the Midwest and be like, oh, no, 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 no. Never having come here and seen how amazing it is. But is there a data point? Right? That's me giving my opinion. I'm asking, is there data that shows that these people won't come? How are you forced to plan for more employment growth outside of the state of Indiana? How? If you're concerned that the law will hinder the ability to attract talent, you won't know it until you see if it does or it doesn't. And then you would go about hiring in these other places as you see fit. You'll run your business accordingly. So why'd you put out the statement, Lily? You put out the statement to punch Indiana in the face. This may be your global headquarters, but man, you sure as hell don't treat it like home. Do you? There was no need for this statement at all. In any way, you needed to signal to whomever it is you're signaling, whether it was specific investors or 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 other other CEOs, how woke you are. You wanted to punch Indiana in the face, your home, but you know you needed a a, a sly way to do it. There was no need for this statement, none. This was some kind of, is, is this an HR push? Is this how you signal, hey, uh, if you're the right kind of employee, come work for us. See, we're just like you. Which now makes me ask the same question that I'm asking of the Pacers and Therese Halliburton. If you disagree, can you say so? If you disagree with Lily and you think this was the right move, regarding abortion from Indiana. Can you say so publicly? Do you still have a job? Can you say it in a, in a, in a, in a chat? I wonder what gets said in some kind of, you know, Slack or something else uh, there uh, in, in Lily. Can, can you say it on your Facebook page? Or will you be run out? Will you be fired? Will you be a distraction? Will you be endangering people? Will people have been triggered? Because you might disagree. This is the question that Lily now has to answer because what they just said is, don't publicly disagree. We put out a statement of our feelings that was completely unnecessary, but we wanted to show everybody how much we hate Indiana and wanted to punch them in the face for the decision that elected officials made and that people voted for. And by the way, when we talk about clear consensus, there's clearly a consensus that Hoosiers wanted some level of restrictions. Now, if you think the restrictions are too much, you push for this and you push for that, and we should do this, and you, 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 you lobby your lawmakers, and there's, 
that's rational stuff. That's what we do all the time. We don't put out statements like this all the time when we're maybe one of the largest, if not the largest employer in the state, punch our home state in the face so we can gather some favor with potential employees who we're not going to bring to Indiana. How can you look at this statement and not think it disgusting? I think it's disgusting. Having an opinion, that's what Therese Halliburton did. I'm asking him some questions about his opinion in and of itself. Has he thought it all the way through? That's my question. But he's entitled to his opinion. Lily employees are certainly entitled to their opinion. But the ones who disagree, are they allowed to vocalize it? Are they allowed to say so? Are they allowed to speak out? Do they have the right to share? Or will they be ruined? Same thing with Pacers employees. Not just who are on the court, those who work in the offices. Can they speak out? I don't know the answer to that question. I do know that what Lily did here is unnecessary. It's hateful. It's spiteful and it's wrong. And it isn't how a solid corporate partner and a member of the civic community acts. It's how the woke act. And damn, is it wrong. I'm Tony Katz. So the Dow's up 44, the NASDAQ is up 10. What's interesting is that there's a a Fed survey out of New York, New York Federal Reserve. Respondents in July expected inflation to run at 6.2% over the next year. It was 6.8. They expected it 3.2% for the next three years. It was 3.6. So people are like, oh, this is good news. They think inflation's going to go down. Everyone's feeling better. Um, and then you get to this kind of, you know, they're talking about the key takeaways. <laughs> Expectations for food increases fell at the fastest rate in survey history and the second fastest for gasoline prices. First, why would you think that food's going down? What has shown you the food's going down? Honestly. Now, gas prices have gone down. Is that a false sense of security? Honestly, is that lulling people in? Oh, you see, things are getting better. Certainly, if people believe they're getting better, they might. And if they were getting better, why do we have an Inflation Reduction Act that's going to put billions more back into the system and just make things worse? Wait till you hear Chuck Schumer. You're going to lose your head. You got to hear it. It's up next. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Sit and wear it. And so, uh, but I wear it on good luck days, and I had a feeling I'd be wearing it. Here it is. Senator Chuck Schumer, it's good luck. It's good luck that we got the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation. Holy cow. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, I want you to hear it. Chuck Schumer so excited. The Senate Majority Leader, listen. About what happened, because we've really, we've changed the world. <laughs> in a way that you rarely get an opportunity to do that. With the Inflation Reduction Act, this Senate Democratic majority has achieved what countless others uh, have come to Washington promising to do, but ultimately failed to deliver. And I am really confident that the Inflation Reduction Act will endure as one of the defining feats of the 21st century. 
all, and we did it without a single vote to spare. To do something with 50 votes is rough. To do small things with 50 votes is rough. To, to pass such a major piece of legislation with only 50 votes, an intransigent Republican minority, uh, a caucus running from Bernie Sanders to Joe Manchin, wow. Um, and I give so, such credit to my caucus. He is proud of this. Remember this day, raising taxes, which it does, increasing spending, which it does. So it's raising taxes during a recession, increases spending during this inflationary world that has no end in sight. And he's proud of it. And why? Because look at all the money it's going to utilize to address climate change. An Inflation Reduction Act is talking about climate change. You've got 230 economists who will tell you this isn't doing anything about uh, inflation, zero, <laughs> nothing. But he's cheering it. You gotta hear us. So you have to understand where these people are coming from, so you know how to discuss this. Listen. Ever, and it's going to make a difference to my grandkids. The world will be a better place for my grandchildren because of what we did today, and that makes me feel very, very good, very, very good. This is sort of like the creation of the EPA and the passage of the Clean Air Act half a century ago. The legislation marks a turning point in our nation's commitment to protect our planet. And the Senate has finally also taken on Big Pharma and will, after decades of trying, be able to negotiate lower prescription drug prices. The Inflation Reduction Act is going to lower prescription drug costs for seniors. And that's been a long, ever since I got here. In the Senate, in 1999, we've been trying to do this, and finally, we have, in a major way. And don't forget, we capped the price of insulin for seniors on Medicare at $35 a month. This was added to the bill yesterday, and it's a big, big win for millions of seniors. It's not going to be a big win for the people who have price increases now. It's not going to be a big win for them. It simply cannot be a big win. The cost has to get moved along somehow. And no, I don't favor forcing companies uh, in, into, hey, this is the only price you can charge. I don't think that's valuable. This now, these climate provisions, uh, you're going to be able to get uh, incentives to buy electric vehicles and appliances. According uh, to them, you're going to be able to uh, utilize programs that could save you $1,800 a year in energy costs. You, you, you believe this to be true? Has anybody forgotten that the electricity that they're all touting has to be created by something? Clean energy tax credits that could create up to one and a half million new jobs in 2030 in construction, manufacturing, and service. Why couldn't those jobs be created anyway? You had to incentivize, uh, subsidize people to job creation as opposed to people wanting things that work. What does it matter that you're subsidizing solar? Solar isn't there yet to really power the home or a city or in anything else. And I'm in favor of solar. I'm in favor of wind. I'm in favor of things that work. Just like a rational person should be in favor of things that work. This doesn't work. Doesn't work. And then, of course, they're going to lower the, uh, oh, what, what, is the, what, what is the word, the pollution levels? Oh, they got a specific name for the thing that I can't remember. By 
They'll have it so you can't drive a car anymore. If you keep going down this road of climate fear, eventually you got to still tell people to stop driving, except, of course, the important people like Chuck Schumer. You take a look at the Green New Deal. We've discussed this before. It says to reduce carbon emissions to the amount technologically feasible. The amount technologically feasible is don't turn the key. Don't turn on the tractor. Don't turn on whatever piece of combine equipment that you've got. That's how you reduce emissions. Don't allow people to use the technology. Why would I think it's any different here? And if we're talking about reducing inflation, how does any of this do it? This is all spending. Spending is the problem. Too much cash, not enough stuff. Chuck Schumer is proud of the fact that he doesn't care. A better future for my grandkids. Crap-ass future for mine. Worse off and worse off and worse off for people right now. And no guarantee that it helps the future. They're always talking about it helping the future. They have no idea. They have no idea. No real world experience, no life experience, just a fetish via a cult on climate. As opposed to being rational. As opposed to saying don't burn tires in the middle of the road. Reducing climate uh, emissions. Emissions was the word I was looking for. Thank you, guys. Cut greenhouse emissions to 40% below peak 2005 levels by 2030. Okay. What does that mean we don't get to create? Back to Chuck Schumer. It would never happen, but we never gave up. And here we are. We got it done. The um... Let's talk about how you got it done, Chuck Schumer. You gave Joe Manchin a pipeline. That's how you got it done, Chuck. You gave Joe Manchin a pipeline. You took away any conversation about getting rid of carried interest. So hedge fund managers who pay a capital gains tax rate as opposed to an income tax rate, you know, the ones who are uh, paying a, a less of a tax than Warren Buffett's secretary, they still get to because you took that out. Look at what you caved on. I tried to create a summation here. Let me let me go with this. Democrats started with a $4 trillion Build Back Better proposal, but they settled for a basically $740 billion Inflation Reduction Act that has 230 economists saying it will maintain or increase inflation. The Democrats had to again silence Bernie Sanders to get it done because Bernie was saying this doesn't reduce inflation. They had to forego certain climate policies while giving Joe Manchin that pipeline and allowing hedge fund managers to keep paying lower taxes than Warren Buffett's secretary. And they now want to call this a win. There is absolutely nothing I said that isn't completely factual based on the reporting and data out there. They want to call this a win. Son of a bitch. You want to run on this? A tax increase during a recession and more spending during inflation. That's precious. That is precious and special, and you go right ahead. You go right ahead and run on that.
you knock yourself out. I want to see how it goes. And go ahead. Keep calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. Keep calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. This is where uh, the Republicans are on this, by the way. Fearless. Of even the supposed moderates have been willing to vote against common sense bills. For example, as I said, every single Democrat, all of them voted to increase gas taxes. So the next time you see a Mark Kelly uh, in Arizona or Raphael Warnock in Georgia or a Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire or, or, or a Michael Bennett in Colorado or Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada say, hey, we want gas prices to be lower, you know they are lying because they stood up and voted, raise the gas taxes, stick it to the producers, make our consumers pay more at the pump. That's the end result they want, and, and their voting record proves it. That he's calling out Democrats by name, I thought was pretty something. But just so you understand how in the right Senator Cruz is, here is the president of the San Francisco Federal Reserve. She won't say that the Inflation Reduction Act reduces inflation. So do you think this bill will, will add to inflation? Has inflation peaked? Can you say that? You know, I really can't comment on pending legislation. And it's really hard to tell because all the details haven't been worked out yet yeah. and or the time frame in which those things will take place. So right now, I think you know, the most important thing, Margaret, is that inflation is too high and the labor market is strong. The global economy is struggling with ongoing high inflation. And that's what I'm focused on. Democrats told you it's going to reduce inflation, but the Fed president in San Francisco isn't so sure. Who am I supposed to believe? It sounds to me like they passed something for the sake of passing something to show that they got a win and don't actually care what it was. What matters to them is they got the pet projects in. Inflation, whatever. Inflation doesn't matter. As uh, Chris Coons put it, he's the senator from Delaware. Well, it still might take a couple years for it to come you down. You call the bill the Inflation Reduction Act, but the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office says the bill is going to have a negligible effect on inflation this year, barely any impact in 2023 between 0.1% lower and 0.1% higher. So is it really fair to call it the Inflation Reduction Act? Yes, it is, George. This is going to reduce the costs that hit American families in their pocketbook. Prescription drug costs, health care costs, energy costs. It's going to make for a more secure and stable and cleaner and more affordable future for American families. And while we may not see huge impacts on inflation in the first or second year, Treasury secretaries who've served in both Democratic and Republican administrations support this bill. You Are you talking to me about lower fuel costs? Americans for tax reform explain that there's a $6.5 billion tax on natural gas production, a $0.16.4 cents per barrel tax on crude oil and imported petroleum products, and a $1.2 billion coal tax, which means we pay more for energy. How is that helping us? How about the 15% minimum tax, uh, corporate minimum tax? So all corporations, no matter what, has to pay uh, at least 15%. Where do you think that cost goes? It goes to us. It goes to us. That's how it works. 
I didn't realize Senator Coons has no life experience whatsoever. But here he is telling you how good things will be when the data shows otherwise and the San Francisco Fed president's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but inflation's too damn high. And more spending doesn't get rid of inflation, it increases it or exacerbates it is the way to say it. Because it could just not increase the number, but it could increase the length of time. We talked about the Bank of England. They raised their rate and their projection for when inflation will return to their target rate of 2%, 2025. 2025. Game over, man. It's game over. So a year, two, how about three years, Senator Coons? But we should all be so thankful that we got this fantastic legislation passed. Thank goodness Chuck Schumer is in his lucky blue suit and blue tie. And they're going to run on this. That's the part. That's the part that's so incredible. They're going to run on this. I haven't even. I mean, we were discussing it earlier, but holy cow. How about the IRS agents? The addition of IRS agents in all of this. 87,000 more agents at a cost of $80 billion. Why? Well, to make sure everybody's paying their fair share of taxes. No. To engage more audits of people who make under $400,000 a year. As a matter of fact, there was an opportunity, an opportunity to ensure that audits from this new group of of IRS agents would only happen to people above making 400, who are making above 400,000 a year, and every Democrat voted no on that amendment. Every Democrat voted no on that amendment. It was was Mary Catherine Hamm who pointed out that there are less than 1,000 billionaires in the U.S., You think it takes 87,000 IRS agents to look at those 1,000 people or less? They're going to be engaging more audits on people who make $50,000 a year. That's where half the dollars come from on the audits anyway. Not the people making over 400,000, the people making under 400,000. There's a fair amount of those people. You might be one of those people. More scrutiny for you. The IRS used as a weapon against the American people. So people like Chuck Schumer, who are smiling so gleefully about this spending at the wrong time and about this tax increase at the wrong time. For me, a tax increase is always at the wrong time. Smiling like a fool at what your life is going to now be. And he thinks he's changed the world. He's changed America. He's really helped his grandkids. My parents or grandparents would argue that that's hate for your grandchildren, but I guess it's in the eye of the beholder. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Maverick continues to crush. I mean, it's it's just destroying at the box office. Top Gun Maverick has made $662 million domestically which is more money than Titanic in 1997. But however, it should be noted that that's, um, 
and not only includes the theatrical run, but the re-releases, but is not adjusted for inflation. So I think you kind of average it out there. It's the seventh highest grossing movie of all time domestically. Ahead of it is Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther, Avatar, Spider-Man, No Way Home, Avengers Endgame, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Top Gun has made $1.3 billion worldwide. Titanic, $2.2 billion, just so you know. But remember, Top Gun Maverick not being shown in China because they never got rid of the Taiwan patch, which I thought they were going to, and I was very angry about it a few years back when it was discussed. Good on them. You don't need China to win. You need a good story that people like to win. Congratulations. Who knew that Tom Cruise was going to save movies? Jumping on couches. I'm Tony Katz.